Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Uh, I've just rushed in from school. I'm very, very excited to have my latest guest with me. I'm totally unprepared. Uh, she is totally wonderful and accepting of that. Welcome to Jen J. McLeod of the Caravanning Around Australia uh, persona, who I've been waiting to talk to for a very long time. This woman is living the dream that I espouse um, to live, but instead I'm stuck at school. So Jen, I'm going to live vicariously through you for the next 30 to 45 minutes, and I want to know everything about you. So welcome to Rider on the Road, Jen. Thank you. I'm looking forward to winging it. Ah, yeah. We've, Jen and I have agreed that we're going to win it today because this is the first episode and as I said I'm up to over 20 now and it's the first time that I haven't done my homework and you know what happens to everyone who doesn't do their homework prior planning um, prevents poor performance so anything that goes wrong here today is totally my fault but Jen is looking at me here expectantly very very smiling and already I know she's got some wonderful stories to tell. So uh, Jen is a novelist and it's a women's fiction novelist with the latest one being The Other Side of the Season, I believe. And Jen was just telling me in our pre-interview chat that she used to write ministerial press releases and that was a precursor to her fiction writing. So I know that I adore this woman already. Anyone with that sense of humour is my kind of woman. Anyone who would dr- um, drink at happy hour with me is another um, woman of after my heart. So welcome Jen, Jen and would you like to do the research for our introduction that I haven't done yet? Yeah, I'll just pour us a wine then and we can um, we can get going. It's wine time. It's four o'clock, 4.30. I think that's fair enough. In fact, um, happy hour is something I've had to get used to since we hit the road because every second traveller we meet is in holiday mode and having happy hour at all sorts of hours of the day. So yeah, getting onto the road full time, which we did two years ago, has been a very big um very big change of lifestyle, but great from a writing perspective. Um, just a little bit about me. I have four books out now with Simon and & Schuster, and it's called The Seasons Collection. It's four standalone novels, um, and I am inspired by The Seasons, which is another reason why it's just been so good to sell the house, sell the property, all the furniture, the whole lot, very liberating in many respects, and hit the road so Mother Nature and I can get a bit more um, acquainted yeah, and I love those words. I love that introduction. Living on the road, happy hour, it's always five o'clock somewhere. Everybody out there is there for the right reasons. They're there to enjoy life. We're not bogged down by material possessions. So all we have to do is talk to each other, share each other's company, enjoy the experiences of life uh, as close to nature as you can get. Jen, let's skip the writing stuff just for a minute. Tell me about your reek. Oh, do you know what? Funniest thing is, it's a woman can now walk up to a man and say, 
I like your rig and not get into trouble for it. This is the great thing about camping. Um, yeah, look, we've got a 25-foot fifth wheeler. Um, we we knew we wanted a fifth wheeler for the safety um, perspective because I travel with my partner and she does all the driving and I do all the telling her where to go and I think that's the way it should be. Um, uh, but we wanted the fifth wheeler for safety, so we did get that and it's sometimes it's 25 foot so it's quite big and sometimes we surprise people you know you everyone watches you you're the entertainment and around three o'clock every afternoon the entertainment comes into the caravan park and you know that everybody's watching you reverse your van into the spot and how many times does it take you we are getting better um but it's funny it's sometimes when you get out of the we, two women get out of the car after parking this thing and you can sort of see the guys faces the blokes looking at you going wow you know that's not bad and we are getting good although we have a few scary moments every now and then but uh yeah it's it's you just got to try these things it's a little bit right like writing you've just got to get in there and give it a go and when it works you celebrate and have a drink and when it doesn't work well you just know you have to try something a little bit better next time yeah, and it's funny because um, I did a bit of a writing trip and Jen's going to tell us about her tour around Australia, in, oh, sorry, around New South Wales in a moment for the um, Mudgee Writers Festival. But I know when I was travelling at Christmas with my daughters and it was our shakedown, I cruise, I guess, down there. And I learnt at the end of that trip that you actually uh, park your rig from the right-hand side so that you can see the corner of your rig as you're driving backwards. And I thought, couldn't someone have told me that at the beginning of the trip and not the end? Um, But I'm very aware of that. Let's sit around, here comes another mug, they're going to park the car. But in our defence, Jen, I can tell you, that most of the entertainment happens when a man thinks he knows everything and the poor old wife is standing behind the rig shaking in total mortification and humiliation and he's yelling at her, why don't you know what you're doing, you silly woman? And we all feel sorry for her and give her a drink and go, oh, you're a bit of a dill. Yeah, you know, the best thing we did, well, a couple of good things we did. I mean, and there's a little rhyme for you, Mel. It's keep the right, keep the sight on the right. There you go. Um, so, but the other thing we got was um, two ways. So I can speak very quietly into the two way and tell Jeanette um, what to do, which I did mention I do very well. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm the one standing there on the slab and and um, and bringing her in. But they, we also learnt the right way to do it. You know, the left hand down, right hand down, because there are always those friendly people in the caravan park who want to jump out and think two women need a hand to do this sort of stuff. So. We, um, we do use the lingo that most people use um, and it sort of helps with the communication. Yeah, and I travel with my two daughters. My oldest daughter's 16 and they can put my rig on a spot without me having to get out of the vehicle. Having um, reversing mirrors in the vehicle helps. All these things for you writers out there and non-travellers, um, it doesn't mean a thing to you, but this is the first time I've actually got to someone speak to someone who's out there, so you just be patient. We'll get to the writing in a minute. Uh, yes. Now, Jen, I know, is down at Woolgooga at the moment. Uh, I've spent some time at Mooney Beach, and we've got a couple of kayaks, and we um, ride up the inlet there. We've got pictures of the dogs on the kayaks, kids on kayaks, me sitting on the shore taking the photographs. Woolgooga, where Jen is, is one of the most magic places on the east coast of Australia. Not too populated, but close enough to coughs to be able to get anything that we need and I'm assuming last time I spoke to Jen she was at Newcastle so I'm guessing you're heading back up the coast Jen yeah this is my home base this is where my dad and my sister live at Woolgooga but a couple of months ago we headed off it was funny I was on I was on Facebook and I said something or other I saw something about Mudgee Readers Festival and I and I put something on Facebook that said yeah I might have to turn 
the caravan around and pointed in another direction because wine and words are just such a lovely combination and Mudgee is a renowned wine region. Anyway, I got a message on Facebook from the organiser saying, were you serious about turning the caravan around? And I went, yeah, sure. So that's how I managed to um, get invited down to Mudgee Readers Festival where I had a great time. I uh, interviewed Candace Fox. Um, I had a great chat with some romance authors as well. Um, met Kate Forsyth, which was just wonderful. Um, so there was some I, it was great. I could drop a thousand names. It's fantastic and I highly, highly recommend Mudgee Readers Festival. It, not only is it a great town, it's such a friendly um, festival and it's a readers festival, which is even better because I'm sorry to all the writers out there. I love writers, but it's lovely to connect with actual um, readers who, who, who love um, just, just reading books. Um, and that's what I tried to do on the trip to Mudgee. I made it a little mini book tour. So we went the long way. We went out to Moree uh, where I was able to catch up with Nicole Alexander, who's lovely. I love her books. Um, and then we drove down a Newell Highway. Uh, we went to places like Coonabarabran where I gate crashed a uh, I didn't have anything organised there, so I gate-crashed a book club in their library. Um, I just turned up one day when they were having their book club and said, do you mind if I sit in? So that was rather fun. I did have some organised events um, in Tamworth, um, an amazing town for authors. If there's any authors out there, I highly recommend you getting out to Tamworth. Um, and then we stopped in Gilgandra and then we went to, oh, gosh, um, Dubbo. I did a couple of events at Dubbo. Um, um, one of them was at a bookshop there, the Book Connection, and I also just rang out a local winery. There's a theme developing here, I know. Uh, a local winery and said, how about I come out on a Sunday and maybe you can invite some people and we'll have wine and cheese platters and talk about books. And they did. So we had about 25 people turn up at a winery. I mean, I just sat there and talked about publishing because people are always keen to know what the publishing journey has been like and how do you get your inspiration for books and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's great talking to people. I then made my way to the Mudgee Readers Festival. Then it was on to Newcastle, back up here to um, Coffs Harbour, but via Nambucca. Um, Nambucca uh, is actually features in my latest book um, as a location. I took uh, the Nambucca V wall, if anyone's familiar with it. It's the painted um, break wall. There's a whole lot of mosaics and murals and messages that people have graffitied all over the rocks. It's like an, an outdoor art gallery with all these beautiful messages. And there was a message there I saw a couple of years ago and it inspired the book that's out at the moment, The Other Side of the Season. So I went back down there and took some photos and things. Uh, and now I'm back in Wagorga and about to head off to Queensland. Yeah, and Jen, even as I'm listening to you, I'm so excited because everywhere you're talking about I'm going, oh, I've been there, oh, I want to go there. Anyone who is at all familiar with the Queen, oh, sorry, with the um, Australian East Coast, with any of the rural areas of New South Wales, you would be there with Jen as she takes us on that journey. Um, even up the coast, uh, I was talking to Annie Seaton. I had her on the show a few weeks ago now, and she's from that Nambucca region. And yep. as a landscape writer, being in the places that you're writing about, how important is that for you? Um, look, I do use my imagination a lot, but I do all my towns that I create, they're fictional, but they are based on places that I've been or I'm at at the time. Um, I do like to involve, I like to fully immerse my readers. So I'm very, I'm a sort of a writer that um, likes to put a lot of senses, you know, like I, I want my writers to feel and smell and sense um, their environment. Um, so it is helpful 
to be actually in the situation. At the moment, the manuscript I'm working on at the moment, I'm about 40,000 words. It's actually um, based in a caravan park on a beach, which is where I am at the moment. Um, and you know what? Um, characters just roll in and park in the site next year when you're in a caravan park. So it's been... Um, Yes, my book is populated with some rather interesting characters, as you and, can imagine. And that's the beauty of living in a caravan park, everybody. If you don't like your neighbours, you pack up and you move somewhere else. It's a bit like sailing, if um, anyone listened to Helen's young, yeah, Helen Young's interview with me. If we don't like them, we up anchor and we leave and we go somewhere else. Uh, something that just hit me as we were talking that I think is really important, Jen, why do we create fictional towns for our for our settings when we have such wonderful real towns? Why do we hide what we have? I don't think it's. I don't think it's a matter of hiding. It's. It, it gives a right. In, in my case, I've got more license to do more if I don't have to stick to the facts. I can throw in and you know an extra river or, a, <laughs> a, you know, a fictional property that doesn't exist. Because believe it or not, readers, um, um, they pick up on the smallest things. So I'd rather keep it fictional. I know um, years and years and years ago, I know Di Morrissey, she does a similar thing. She will create a, a town, but she's actually writing about a town. We, we know what the valley is. We know that the bay was Byron Bay, but she doesn't, she doesn't call it Byron Bay, so therefore, that you know, she doesn't have to worry about the the upsetting anybody if she gets something wrong or takes a little bit of license when she's when she's writing. So I'm sort of like that. And in fact, it was several several years ago that um, I was writing and I was keen to be published. So it was well before I was published. And I heard an interview, and it was Di Morrissey being interviewed, and she said, "You'll love this, Mel." She said, "When I need inspiration for a new book, I throw hubby in the motorhome and head off to a new town, and that's how." she writes and I said to Jeanette at the time I so want to be like Di Morrissey and I want to pack up and drive off and um and yeah start writing stories and so I, I put a couple of books out before we actually packed up but um it was being published that enabled me to to get the caravan and and follow that dream and and look it is a dream everybody uh Jen living the lifestyle that she's living, a lot of us aspire to. Not a lot of us can shake suburbia to get out there and do it. The characters are there for our for our asking. Um, I'm actually going to ask Jen her next question now. Where are your favourite places? What kinds of places do you look for? I've written cemeteries here because I love cemeteries. I always end up at the local cemetery to where the dogs get out and have a wee and I know it's not disrespectful because I make sure they wee before they go into the cemetery but it's where I collect my names. It's where I collect the things that oh. happen to people. Um, where where do you go for your inspiration? Oh, just my head really. Um I must admit, most everything just really comes out of my head. I mean, I, I'm inspired by the season, certainly my settings. I'm inspired by towns that I know um, um, and my landscapes. Um, yeah, look, honestly, I, I think it just comes out of my head. Some, sometimes I, I had someone read my um, current manuscript that's in with my agent at the moment and she came back to me and she said, Jen, I just have no idea how your head works. It's just incredible the stuff that comes out and gets onto paper. So I took it as a compliment. Um, but my head is a pretty crazy place. And if any, if you ask anyone who knows me, I, sometimes it's very difficult to talk to me because I sort of wander off sometimes. And you know, I, I do have. I don't need any real friends. They're all in my head. We're quite. We're quite busy in there. 
Yeah. And I've been talking to a couple of writers lately. That's the benefit of what I do. I'm actually very excited because I get to pick everybody's brain. Um, talking about the senses, you draw on those senses in the places that you are and you may may not consciously do it but you pick up on seasons you pick up on wind, wind chill factors if you go through tenterfield there's this wonderful barometer that says you can tell the weather by by which ways the wind's blowing all those kinds of things are you finding that your writing is a lot more i guess century oriented because you are living in the places that you're writing about yeah Absolutely. But also when I'm doing my planning for my stories and my town, a lot of it doesn't, there's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't appear in the books, but I treat my settings and my towns like my characters. So where some authors will write character charts where they, you know, you know, your character's eye colour and hair colour and disposition and what their favourite swear word is and whatever. I do all that for my characters, but I also do it for my town. So my towns have a history. They are real in my head. In fact, I will put them on butcher's paper and I can drive my matchbox cars around my town. I know where the sun comes up and where the sun goes down. So I know where the shadows will fall over the trees and blah, blah, blah. So it's a very real thing to me. And as I say, a lot of that does doesn't even appear in the final draft of the book but it informs me so it really is all in my head or everything that that I conjure up is is coming from my imagination yeah and it's that case of getting out there and doing it being it seeing it believing it uh Jen's um I guess her tagline is Australia's small town storyteller what what are some of the settings that you've used till now um, my first two books, House for All Seasons, which was um, number five best-selling um, debut novel in 2013, which was a lovely way to kickstart my career, uh, which started at 50, mind you, uh, so I'm a bit of a late bloomer. Uh, that was um, the setting for that um, was um, I started um, moved up to Sawtell, which is a suburb of Coffs Harbour. Don't tell anyone I said that in Sawtell. Um, and I uh, we bought a cafe there. So um, so definitely, if anyone knows Sawtell and they read House for Seasons, they will recognise the beautiful main street in Sawtell, which is lined with fig trees um, but it's that it's a little bit of Bellingen a little bit of Bowerville and then um, there's a little town and a pub called Almara which is north of Grafton and that's the setting for Simmering Season which is the story about a, a woman who's trying to sell the family pub um, so um, I did a lot of research more theming a lot of research in that pub was required um, so we went there quite a few times um, I, I they're all seasons based I guess not that I set out to do a season each for my stories but my third book season of shadow and light ended up being a summer flood event um and then this fourth book I hadn't done winter so and and I was doing a beach related it's 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 a, it's a seaside um town watercolor cove and I thought well normally you would do summer and I thought no what the heck I'm going to do a beachside story and I'm going to make it winter because I think there's something beautiful about the seaside in winter so I wanted to let winter have its voice and let it shine a little bit so I particularly chose it so it has it's turned out I have done four seasons books over the the four books yeah and even as you're mentioning the places now I I've, I'm very much an Australian lover I love everything about our country I'm just so excited to have found you and your books to be able to go and read about those places not only am I Australian I'm from New South Wales and I've been to all the places that you've talked about I'm sure a lot of us out there are very very excited that you're writing about places that we consider to be ordinary 
that you suddenly make extraordinary by their very ordinariness. Now, I know that sounds like a silly statement, but you're making us look anew at what we take for granted and turning it into a story that we all can't wait to read and to the point where they're put on bestseller lists. So your everyday experiences become our exotic. Now, do you find that a little bit ironic? Uh no, no, because there's different types of escapism, and I think you know what what my books provide. I mean, you know, some books are romance-related sort of fiction, and they are pure escapism. Some of them, you know, you just want to read and know that you're going to end up smiling, happy ever after. I guess I'm a little bit less predictable. Um, there are love stories in my 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 novels. They're not romances per se. They're more life and love stories. Um, and yeah, maybe the endings are a little bit less predictable than that. Um, I know with House for Seasons, I got many reviews saying on the twist that we never saw coming um and my current book i've got a few emails quite a few emails from people who were a bit surprised by the ending um happy not happy well some of them were not happy about what i did um but uh yeah i like the unpredictableness is that a word um is now of being able to of being able to end a book the way I want to end it. I'm a bit of a panster. I don't plot. I don't actually don't know where my books are going to end. Um, and I think to date none of them out of the four have actually gone to pl- to the little sort of semi-plan that I thought I had. In fact, um, my third book, I had a character totally take over the story and the two main characters almost became secondary characters. Um, so that was a really interesting um, experience. I didn't, didn't mean to do it, but it, just the way I work as a writer. I just sit down and, and see where the story takes me yeah and it's interesting when that happens because maybe that should be the should have been the story all along um that brings me very nicely into your writing day now being on the road being in caravan parks our routines are the same as everybody else's except in a smaller area it's it's quite a treat to be able to keep those doors shut and be able to lock yourself away do you write inside um your rig inside your fifth wheeler every day or do you go and find yourself a place like a creek which was always my my want you know i have never been a writer who locks themselves away even when we had a house we had a five bedroom house on a one acre property i sat i had a desk in the lounge room where the television was on and where there were people because i just don't work silence frightens me i i don't know i just i just don't like locking myself away. i mean even now i've locked myself away into, in a room and I, I don't i'd rather be out with people um I do have a little teeny weeny desk in my caravan that they built specially for me. I've had to travel with an office chair. So I actually have this clump and great office chair in the caravan that goes on the bed when we travel so it doesn't wheel all over the place. Um, but I have my little desk uh, and a big monitor, which is really handy when I'm doing editing. But other than that, I'm usually sitting outside with my little Apple notebook on my lap and um, with incredibly bad posture, mind you, um, and and typing away that way. So, yeah, no, I don't lock myself away. I would much rather be out and watching and, you know, I might pick up an idea. And it's about those senses. You know, when you're trying to write about a chilly air or something, if you're sitting in it, well, it's really helpful. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's amazing, everyone. That's why I like my characters drink wine. That's why a lot of my characters drink wine, by the way. <laughs> because that's what we do all the time. We just sit out there from 10 o'clock in the morning drinking alcohol. No, we don't. That's we right. never start till after the yard arm or 
the sun does whatever it does over the yard arm. Uh, but I've sat out there at 5.30 in the morning and for those of us who don't have showers and toilets in our rigs, which I'm assuming at 25 foot and being a fifth wheeler that some people are spoiled and do have all that, but the rest of us have to tootle off to the shower block. Now, when I sit out of a morning, because I do my best riding, you know, from 5 till 9 of a morning before the children actually are fully awaken. Um, nagging me it's a very social time of day because everybody walks past you oh good morning and you find yourself getting more conversations than you actually need at that time in the morning as you drink your cup of milo out of your pannikin I often find myself hiding behind my caravan so that people can't see me while I'm working well you know what there are some sights there are some sights that you sometimes actually can't unsee um one lady in particular i remember going to the loo in her leopard spot onesie um in the morning and yeah that was not that was that was not a good way to start the day really i'm sorry she, she was gorgeous but no no <laughs> She had, and she had and she and she had Crocs on. <laughs> Look, I've got to tell you, I've um, I've stayed in a few places, and and it is funny, and it is enjoyable, uh, and you wouldn't be dead for quids when you when you're out there living this lifestyle. And the riding day is just as important, and I'm assuming you put in just as many hours as someone sitting in an office, because that's what Ooh. we do. Oh no, she's saying no, maybe. she doesn't. All right, fess maybe, up. How maybe many? Not, maybe not. Maybe not. Come on, fess up. How many books have you written in two years? Four? In two? No, no, no. Book a year. Book a year. Four. So it takes me a year. No, it takes me a year. Well, when I say it takes me a year, it takes me three months to write a book. Then it takes about four months for the editor to edit the book. Um, and then the publisher does does their thing. So so no, some people ask me how long it takes me to write a book, and I never know how to answer. But I think if you put, pinned me down, I'd have to say probably it takes me three months to write the first draft yeah i mean i did do nanowrimo which in my very first book house for all seasons i did in nanowrimo uh, which is national novel writing month and that's one of those writers challenges where you have to sit down and write fifty thousand k's in 30 days which mind you was the very best thing for my writing ever because i stopped trying to be a writer and i just became a storyteller and i let my voice flow and that's actually when sort of the humor in my stories came out because i was not trying too hard to be the perfect writer. I was just, you know, off I was going just telling a story, just talking. Yeah, and and I agree with you that that NaNoWriMo writer doovy hoovy has kicked off a lot of writers to make them be more serious about their craft. Uh, but I think now that you're established and we all know what you do and we all follow your journey on Facebook, um, it's it's a pressure on its own to to live the talk, I guess, to say, well, I've said I'm a writer, now I actually have to be a writer. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not as disciplined when I am travelling. It's um, pack-up day and set-up days. You know, when I, like, when I write, I like to sit down and spend hours. Once I get into it, I just write and write and write. I'm not one of these people who can sit down and generate within an hour because I have a free hour quality work. I just don't. Um, I need to have um, dedicated writing time and I can't do that while we're um, doing a lot of travel. So for the couple of months that we've been travelling New South Wales, I've done less writing than I should have. But in saying that, I've done blogging and the other necessary social media things um, in, in, in you know, connecting with readers online and that sort of thing. So I use, the, I use my time but it's not necessarily all for writing when I'm, when I'm actually 
um, travelling. Yeah, and we don't know what's going to pop up in the next book either. So as you're as you're travelling through some of that beautiful uh, New South Wales countryside, I know when I came up through the back of Bathurst there, up through to the back of Mudgee and through the Bylong Valley. Now I'm I'm a New South Wales country girl, and you know my daughter was born in Orange. I've grown up in Goulburn. I've travelled between Sydney and Canberra, Batemans Bay, or the south coast. When I went through that Bylong Valley. Um, which is the back of the Hunter Valley, I have never seen such beautiful, beautiful country in all my life. And we've got this problem that it's been, um, is it coal seam gas or one of those mines? And the only reason it's not happening at the moment is because that Bylong Valley, the reason it's as beautiful as it is, because it's owned by all the rich horse breeders and our race horsemen, and they've got enough money to fight it as we're talking. And um, I don't know if you noticed some of that stuff that was happening through the back of there, but it breaks your heart that we're losing that country, do you think? I was shocked. I know exactly the section you're think, thinking about because in Season of Shadow and Light, um, it, it based on it's set on a horse spelling property. And as we came through there, I thought, oh, wow, this is, you know, I could have come here for research purposes. This is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, and it, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous with those beautiful white fences. Somebody gets out there and paints those all those kilometres of fence white. Um, but, um, yeah, then all of a sudden we're driving through and there's just the, the earth is just carved away and it's grey, mounds of grey. And it, it shocked me and I went, whoa, this is what they talk about. You know, you see it on the news and you read about it in the paper and you see it online, but nothing beats the sensation of actually seeing these monoliths sort of just grey, ugly, you know. But I don't want to go there because... I realise that, you know, there's two sides to every story. You know, there's a lot of employment and and, and that is Newcastle's bread and butter in, in many regards, I guess. So uh, so but yes, for me personally it was it was very shocking to see the contrast. Yeah, and I, look, I've spoken to someone recently on our on our podcast, and one of them actually set one of their novels. Now it could have been Annie Seaton, it could have been Joanne Dannon. I can't remember which one of them it was, but one of the novels is set around one of those very scenarios about people fighting for their properties. So look, everywhere we go, there are stories to tell, and that's the beauty of what we do. Um, you're the first person, I guess, was- Jen, who's out there doing it. That was probably Annie Seaton's at uh, Kakadu Sunset. Mm, yeah, and it does it does break your heart. Um, I'm actually thinking yeah. of getting Annie back on so she can tell us about her trip through Europe. But you know what? Your trip through Western New South Wales is just exci- as exciting. I'm flicking through uh, Jen's blog as we speak and all these pictures of animals came up and I said that just has to be the Dubbo Zoo. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Gosh, that was just amazing, absolutely amazing. And I even got to feed a giraffe. And the way I got to feed a giraffe was I didn't pay for the encounter. You can pay for these close encounters with the animals, and I didn't. And I'll tell you this story. A woman of I did not know, she didn't know who I was, she just walked up to me and she said, I can't use this ticket, would you like it? There were like 20 people there, but she picked me and I thought, wow, that is just a random act of kindness. And that was just lovely. So I got to actually feed a giraffe. Yeah. Up close, they're just amazing. Yeah, Sometimes. so I went on and paid, and I paid paid it forward. I went on and paid it forward. And I found somebody to give a book to. Yeah, and I think that's something that you discover on the road all the time, Jen. Is that you can pay it forward, you can share those random acts of kindness, and you don't know when it's going to be your turn, um, but you can always put a smile on someone else's face. Now I know on my caravan, I've painted 
pictures of my books and I know I've paid for my travelling um, out of the caravan with my boxes of books. Now, that brings me to you selling books out of your van or out of your, sorry, fifth wheeler. I know from our Facebook conversations that you actually do that. Well, I always have books on board because, yes, in the caravan, and I have signage on my van, and in caravan parks, ladies will come up and say, I need a new book, and that's fabulous. But mostly it's because I do do a lot of author events while I'm touring. And the unfortunate thing about small towns um, is that there are no bookshops. That is the very sad thing that I discovered in going um, around the towns that I did, that people are having to travel hundreds of kilometres. When I was in Dubbo, there was actually a lady who um, came into the bookshop and just lucky, her lucky day that I was there because it was her job that week or that month to go to the bookshop to buy four books for their book club. There's eight people, so they buy. someone takes a turn, they buy four books and they share it around. Well, she happened to come into the Book Connection in Dubbo when I was there. So she bought four of my books, which was lovely, but she travelled 200 kilometres round trip in order to come to a bookshop to buy books. And I just think that's so sad to not have bookshops in town. So, yeah, I, I do travel with books on uh, board, which means, unfortunately, I don't get to buy a lot of books, so I have to Kindle read, which I don't like Kindles, but I much prefer a book, but I just, you know, weight, you would understand weight distribution, um, and I have to always find room to carry the wine cellar. So something has to give. I like this woman. I don't know what it is. I think it's the happy hour thing. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing a big trip over from uh, Brisbane to Perth for a few months over Christmas. We're going to tow the rig. Um, so if you're not doing Which anything, way are you going? we're going from Brisbane. We're Which going to way? go down through, I'm assuming I'll go down through Broken Hill down to South Australia across the Junior and across that way. Um, so if you're not doing anything, please feel free to join me because I don't know how to change uh-huh. a tyre yet and you can do that for me. Oh, well, hey, touch wood. We haven't had to change a time yet either. <laughs> yeah, that's why we pay big you know, insurances. Yeah. I hope you haven't jinxed me. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, everyone who's listening, when you're on the road and you can't do something, my daughters and I can just get out of the car and look helpless and women always lend us their husbands. They, they not only just do the little job that you need them to do, they'll actually do the whole lot and they'll bring the rig out onto the road and all you have to do is get in it and drive away and wave goodbye and meanwhile you've sold books to their wives. It's actually very, it's actually a very good deal. Uh, but to bring to make the conversation serious because I could talk caravans all the time, uh, I noticed or Jen was telling me before we started today that her Jen J. McLeod official author tag, the J in the middle is her partner Janet or Jeanette. Janet? Jeanette. 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 Yep. Jeanette is part of the team and a very real part of the team. And I thought it's interesting because most of us, to get our spouses to even go anywhere near what we're doing is a nightmare. But Jen's lucked out and she's got someone who's actually not only a helper, but is a very real partner in in the book writing process. Would you like to share that with us? Yeah, look, I don't think the books would be if I didn't have someone um, to bounce ideas off to dig me out of big black holes because authors do, no matter how successful they are, they, we all have moments where we just fall, our plots just fall apart. You know, you can be 50,000 words into a book and totally let, totally lost, not know where to go, and it brings you down. I mean, it's, it can be very depressing. And sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. We're so involved in our characters, in our plots. So it's really nice to have somebody to 
to bounce things off. She's also great at telling me how to cut the crap. She keeps me very grounded if I try to get a big head um, or the tickets, you know. Um, she keeps me very grounded that way. Um, but mostly uh, House for All Seasons, her, the ending, which the, the twist nobody saw coming, would not have happened if it hadn't been for, for Jeanette. Um, she would like extra initials rather than just a J. I have said no, definitely not. Um, she did say she would prefer to be the J and JK Rowling. I said, well, bad luck. Um, you're stuck with me. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm very, very, very fortunate. I know some authors out there writing haven't even told their husbands they're writing and publishing um, their own books. So it's really lovely to be able to have somebody on the journey with me. And my advice always to aspiring authors, if people ask me for advice, one of the tips that I give them is to share the journey with somebody um, that you trust. And that should be the person who's going to be impacted the most because writing full-time, takes a lot of um, time. It's an incredibly stressful, um, gosh, send you crazy sometimes. Um, I'm a terribly impatient person and publishing is not a good place for the people with who don't have patience. So if you can take someone on a journey who's going to be more understanding of you, so, you know, mostly husbands and partners, take them along because they will be more understanding when, you know, when things get a little bit tough and they do get tough. Yeah, it's now about now time, listeners, that I probably introduced to Jen the concept of self-publishing and indie publishing where things move a lot more quickly and you can get those books uploaded to Kindles and things very, very quickly. But Jen has a wonderful publisher with Simon & Schuster and I'm mm-hmm. guessing going through that process is the normal process with a traditional publisher and the advantage of that and I've seen your books and I get very excited and more and more I can walk into Big W now and I can name half half a dozen people on that on that shelf and I can say oh I've had that lady on my podcast and I'm after that lady on my podcast there are people like Rachel Johns who I'm chasing and Kate Forsyth if you're listening out there I'm chasing you uh there are people all the time that it's really really exciting that we get to talk to there are advantages of being in those places being on those shelves do you think in BW you mean or just just being with a traditional publisher and having that exposure Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't have to. I admire indie authors because they are everything. They are cover designers, they're editors, although I know that they get editors and cover designers in, but they're still the people making the decisions. I've never made a decision on my book cover. I leave the interpretation of my stories to my publisher and I'm really quite happy to do that because I think they know that business better than I do so yeah I can focus very much just on the writing I don't really have to worry about promoting myself like indie authors do so yeah to be able to do that is um is is pretty amazing so I feel a little bit you know I'm blessed that um that I'm I'm with a a great publisher like Simon and Schuster um and they take care of those sorts of things for me so I can just concentrate on the writing side of things yeah mind you it's a very interesting pro I mean even though and I've loved the editing process. I've learned so much from um, having professional editors go through my books. Um, um, the last editor I had in particular was fantastic, and she actually said to me, Simon and Schuster have told me that you're very happy for me to call a spade a spade and be 
pretty upfront and you're very keen to learn. And I said, yeah, 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 bring it on, bring it on. And she said, oh, great. Well, that's great. Well, I've cut 20,000 words from your manuscript. So that was a little bit of a little bit of a shock. But you know what? In the end, um, it's a it's a better book. It's not a it's not, a, it's not bigger, but it's a better book. And that's what a really good editor do is that's why I love the process and that's why I'm so grateful to to have access to really, really fine editors who, who really get me as an author as well. Yeah. Well, I, look, I was being really clever there. I was going to segue sh- straight into that point because I had that sitting up on, on your blog as a final point. So I set you up and I asked you about your publisher because I was going to finish with the question of what do you do when your editor tells you she's deleted 20,000 words, which is on Jen's <laughs> blog. And Jen just took that question right away from me. So that I, I thoroughly recommend you go on to Jen's blog. Um, it's jenjmcleod.com, www.jenjmcleod.com. There are some wonderful stories in there. I noticed that Jen interviews uh, a lot of other women or chats with other women as you're travelling around, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I, I involve a lot of authors on my sites because I like to be able to – I mean, some of them don't need my help to, to – to get promotion, but you know, some authors who are just starting out. Um, yeah, I currently have a, a series at the moment where I have authors writing a letter to their younger self, um, and there's some fabulous advice that they're giving themselves. Um, um, 20 years ago, some of them are quite fun, some of them are quite poignant, um, and that's that's a, an ongoing series that I've got going this year. Yeah, and she's got a lady by the name of Maggie Christensen on there. Now, I had a beautiful photo up on my Facebook page of um, Maggie um, signing books at Mitchelton Library here in Brisbane, and the photo was just beautiful, but it was only as beautiful as Maggie had set the scene for it. So she'd paid for professional banners. She had her books displayed beautifully. She was um, coffeeed beautifully, and I just stuck my head in there, unfortunately, but you know what? She made me look good. Um, It pays to have the image. As you travel around on the road, Jen, you set this wonderful, uh, I guess, high standard for the rest of us following in your footsteps. I know that uh, people really look forward to you going to the various caravan parks and and giving your talks. You're very generous with your with your time. I'm thinking, are you finding that people really appreciate how much you give? Oh, look, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I I only do what I what I would like someone to have done for me. If I'd had somebody knowledgeable talking to me or, you know, giving me advice, oh, gosh, that would have just been wonderful. When I joined this business, I had no idea what I was doing. So, I, look, I just approach it as I once heard somebody say, no author ever hurt their career by being generous to other authors. And I just, whoever said that, I'm not sure who it was, but I just think it's wonderful. And I've sort of tried to to live that way. And I'm a great believer in karma. Um, in fact, there was a dog in my first book I named Karma, um, Good Karma, Bad Karma, um, because, yeah, I'm a true believer that, you know, if you do the right thing, then people will do the right thing by you. And let me just say Maggie Christensen is just gorgeous and her and I both write about more mature women and I think there should be more um, fiction out there that's for women. I mean, I write about women my age, I suppose, because um, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's time that there was more fiction of uh, more mature ladies. 
Yeah. We're not well, past it. Well, I was speaking, I oh, thank God for that because I'm 54 and single and I'm going, mm, I think I'm past it. But I was speaking to a lady on my podcast the other day called um, Cassandra Gaysford and she's from New Zealand on the Bay of Islands and she's written a book coming out called, um, oh, was it Mona Lisa Woman or Renaissance Woman or something like that, but that'll be on the blog shortly. And she was saying the new middle age is around where we are and I thought I like being middle-aged rather than old and I thought I, th- I think we're actually in the best stages of our lives we've got some wonderful women coming up behind us we've got Joanne Dannon we've got uh who was I speaking to oh, another beautiful woman Sherry Sherry McCarthy their energy and their their drive to succeed especially in the indie publishing world just floors me every time I speak to them and they fill me with enthusiasm as well but I think your way of a book a year traveling around the countryside popping into libraries joining book clubs taking taking the slow road to nowhere has its attractions as well and look it's the title I like that (laughs) write that down don't tell Annie Seaton because she's (laughs) taking over the whole of the countryside (laughs) and I saw on our Facebook page everyone um Annie's um released a photo of the Daintree and it looked like Mossman Gorge there and I don't know whether it was a precursor to something that's going to go onto her book cover or whether she's just teasing us uh what have you got in I'm going to let um Jen go now that was sort of a bit of a wrap up wrap up but I've just thought of one more question because I can't help myself your book that you're working on when will that be out and what can you give us a hint of about what's what it's about please I'm not sure when it will be out but I can tell you I wrote it when camped in the middle of a paddock uh, this time last year actually I was in um, on a property called Henderson Park Retreat um, and um, I was camped in the middle of a paddock for three months it's um, a, a property um, that is a Brahman cattle um, station and it's halfway between Yapoon and Rockhampton and it was the most inspiring. I had a novel sort of written uh, set in Noosa and I moved here and I looked at the landscape, which is quite unique, and I thought I have to set a story here. So I actually changed the whole story um, so it was set um, in this particular location, which is called Bamoya. Um, again, it's fiction, but certainly the fifth, five generations of people have um, farmed this land um, and um, they provided an awful lot of uh, inspiration uh, for the story. So I'm, I'm quite excited. It's a little bit different. It's a dual time period story, as is the one that's out now. The Other Side of the Season was my first dual time period story. Um, so um, stories um, set 30 years apart which brought with it a whole lot of new challenges, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, so, um, so yeah, I'm quite getting into the dual time period um, structure. I'm finding it really, really interesting. Yeah, and that, and that writing um, style, I guess, um, you're right, it is another whole po- other podcast, so I have to have, a, have you back so and I can talk more caravan places with you, um, especially when we travel over the Nullarbor together. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in anyone who can make the country between Yapoon and Rockhampton sound romantic. I'm thinking of the Marlborough Straits north of Rockhampton and I'm going, oh, I always wanted to set a story in the service station at Marlborough because it's hours and hours of nothing for our international uh, listeners and probably for our national listeners as well not many of us have traveled that road and every time I'd go to the Marlborough 
a Marlborough service station um, to fill up because that was a stop for us. And they used to tell me how many toasted sandwiches they'd make each day for the travellers going through. And it'd be up in the three and four hundred a morning. And I thought, there's a job for a woman who's got nothing else to do, 400 toasties <laughs> for truckers at seven o'clock in the morning um, with people going north to south and south to north. And now here's a woman who's been very, very brave and set a whole romance novel in that very area. There's nothing up there, guys. Don't be mistaken. It is nothing country but as spectacular um, as you could get in the Australian landscape. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I want to see how you describe it because I'm assuming that would have been a bit of a challenge. There's beauty everywhere if you know where to look. Yeah, especially at 5.30 in the morning when you're just having a cup of Milo and the kookaburras are doing whatever the kookaburras do. Look, thank you, Jen. You've been... Oh. Yeah. Oh, we love. We yeah. both love kookaburras. Jen's nodding ahead here, and plus, I, I don't have to worry about the children being awake. I don't know what Jen's excuse is. Uh, look, thank you, Jen. You've been a wonderful sport. As for winging it, I think we've done a, a marvelous job. You've shared some wonderful insights with us, even if it was uh, a trip around the countryside, which is my favourite way of travelling. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add for people who are looking for you? No, but I certainly welcome people on Facebook. Um, if people are interested in following my travels, come on over. I've got a, an official author page where I do official authory stuff, but I also welcome friends on Facebook who don't mind me carrying on about travels and all sorts of other crazy writer stuff. Excuse me, travels is what we're all about. It's um, Every podcast I've had has ended up talking about travels, I think. Thank you, Jen. I uh, appreciate your time. I look forward to meeting you in person. I look forward to having virtual happy hours with you, whatever time of the day. And we will talk again soon. Say hello to Jeanette for us. Will do. Thank you, Mel. Bye.